Hi everyone, it's your host Dominique of Black Girls Talk Crime and today's case is a case that combines three different cases into one simply because I for one think that the cases are related closely to each other. It was suggested to me by a family member of mine. These cases take place in the city where I'm from, so shout out to New York City and two of the three boys were specifically snatched from my part of the city, Harlem, New York. Today, we tell the stories of Christopher Dansby, Shane Walker, and Andre Bryan. Let's get into it. Today, we talk about every mother's worst nightmare. Turning your head for one quick minute or trusting the wrong people, as was the case for Andre Bryan's mother, could change the course of not only your life, but more frightening, the life of your child. As many inner cities in the United States during the 1980s, New York City was riddled with crime. The highest crime rates in the city since when crime rates originally began being reported in the 1800s was in fact during the 1980s and the 1990s era in New York, which to a lot of us isn't surprising. Between the crack epidemic getting a hold of the city, homicide rates rising, police definitely had a lot on their hands. And people wondered if they dropped the ball on these cases where, what, that we're about to talk about, sorry, because of it. Christopher Milton Dansby was born to his mother, Allison Dansby, and his father, Milton Westcott Robbins, on March 30th, 1987. Christopher, affectionately called Choo Choo by his family, lived in the Martin Luther King Towers, also known as Forster, a NYCHA development on the west side of Harlem, which is basically a project complex. Besides Christopher and his mother living in these projects, his grandmother, his mother's siblings, and his cousins all lived there as well. Now, if you're not from the city and you have never been in a NYCHA development, people would have you think everyone that lives there is ghetto, unemployed, and just that the whole area is just filled with thugs and hoodlums. And although, yes, these developments can be filled with people like that, it may seem like a scary place to some people. These buildings are also filled with hardworking people, with married parents raising smart and hardworking children, with respectful families that look out for each other. In 1989, Allison was 26 years old and had two sons, three-year-old LaVon, who they affectionately called Pancho, and two-year-old Christopher. Christopher, according to his aunt, was a child who was attached to his mother, as most kids are, and wouldn't just wander off with strangers. He was a regular two-year-old child who had even begun to say words, his first two being Mama and LaVon. Christopher's mom would say that Christopher loved being outside, and they would often go outside to sit outside on the benches or go to the park, which is part of the development. On the afternoon of Thursday, May 18, 1989, Allison, as well as her mother and some other relatives that lived in the complex, would take young Christopher to the park. Allison had decided that she wanted to go to the grocery store, but she didn't bring Christopher's stroller down, and everyone with kids or that is around kids know that two-year-olds walk extremely slow. So I can understand her not wanting to bring him with her, And on top of that, her mother was already in the park. So why not just leave him with his grandmother? 
So Allison would just leave her son behind. About a half an hour later, 30 minutes, she would return. And as any mother would, first she would look for her son. And when she couldn't locate Christopher, she went to her family members who said they had just seen him playing with the red ball with two other children. A boy who appeared to be around five or six and a girl about 10. However, Allison had never bought a red ball for Christopher to play with. So whose ball was this? Now, it's not unfamiliar for children to share their toys in the park because they oftentimes do. But with Christopher vanishing, this ball had vanished with him. As any mother, Allison would start screaming his name and frantically looking for her son. However, he was gone. And weirdly enough, so were the two children he was last seen playing with. She would later on tell the news she believed this ball was used to lure her son because he would never just go off with anyone. Police would soon be called and search all 10 buildings in King's Towers and all 14 floors, but could not locate Christopher. They would even call in helicopters as well as cadaver dogs who would track Christopher's scent two blocks down to West 110th Street and Lenox Avenue. Sorry, in New York, it's so many Lexington, Lenox, like it's so many avenues with this L-E-N, you can get confused. Um, his scent was last tracked to West 110th Street and Lenox Avenue, but then they would lose it. So it leads you to wonder, since they were able to track Christopher from the park all the way down to this point, where did he go? Did a car pick him up? Which officers began to think is what happened. They were unable to track Christopher. And also, where were these two older children who disappeared as soon as he did that he was just playing with? An 11-year-old child who lived in these projects would tell police that he saw Christopher walking down West 111th Street with an older African-American man, and police would even have a composite sketch done, but nothing would come of it. These are questions that, to this day, are still unanswered. Now, of course, this abduction will lead the entire community to be shocked because although, yes, Harlem at this time and still to this day has its fair share of crimes, child abduction is just not one of them. However, scarily, this same community, same complex, would experience another child abduction just months later. Shane Anthony Walker was born December 7, 1987, to parents Rosa Glover and James Walker. Even more strangely, Shane and his mother lived in the same apartment building as Allison and Christopher. However, the two mothers did not know each other. Which is so weird because this complex specifically has 10 buildings. So what would be the probability of that? It leads you to think were these kidnappings planned? But that's something we'll dive into a bit later. At the time of his disappearance, Shane was only 19 months old. And his mother Rosa was 35. Which is so scary again as a parent because these are babies. And they don't even know what's going on. And as a parent, to not even be able to locate or even protect your child is even scarier. And Rosa thought she couldn't even have children. And so Shane was her first child. She called him her special boy because he was a miracle to her. 
So for her to lose him was tragic. And although obviously Shane was not able to talk because of his age, his mother would go on to say that her son didn't, did like stuffed animals and monkeys, and he was an overall happy baby. Rosa worked as a cook five days out of the week, and on her two days off, she would try to spend as much time with Shane doing activities as possible. And one of those activities was to take him to the park. On another Thursday, which is the same day of the week that Christopher went missing, August 10th, 1989, around 5 p.m., Rosa took Shane to the park. Obviously, it was a summer day, so the park was crowded. Beforehand, Rosa had taken Shane to the store, and then they headed towards the park. Upon entry, Rosa would say that two children, again, with the same similarities between Shane's story and Christopher's, a young girl, age 10, and a boy around 6, would come up to her and ask if they could play with her son. However, his mother would go on later to say she thought this was weird because they were so much older than him, which is completely understandable because what could they have possibly wanted to do with her son? I mean, he couldn't even speak. Originally, Rosa told these children no, but she goes on to say that they were super persistent, which is weird to me because children usually understand no. And you would think that they would want to move on and play with children their ages who can run with them, play with them, speak to them at least. He was a baby. However, because they kept asking, Rosa finally agreed for them to take Shane down the slide. Rosa would sit down on a bench and watch the two children play with her son. However, a man would sit down next to Rosa and begin to talk to her about how a child had went missing a few months earlier from this same park, obviously talking about Christopher, and how it was important to watch her children, and how parents didn't even pay enough attention to their kids. And strangely, he even began to talk about kidnapping. He then started to show Rosa scars, saying that he had gotten, gotten these scars from fights. A really eerie and just weird conversation to have, at least in my opinion. However, when Rosa would turn around to find Shane, he would be nowhere to be found. Much like Allison, of course, Rosa would become frantic and would begin to start screaming her son's name. But both he and the children he were playing with were gone. Soon after, about three minutes later, the kids that were with Shane came through a hole in the park's wire fence. However, he was not with them. Rosa would ask, what did y'all do with my son? They said they left him in the park. However, Rosa would reply, if they left him in the park, he would still be there. Rosa would soon contact the police, and just like Christopher, they would search for Shane throughout the entire complex and surrounding areas, going through buildings multiple times with over 200 officers, yet they would find nothing. At first, police didn't think the two cases were connected, which I don't understand how they couldn't because one, both boys went missing from the same NYCHA complex, both on a Thursday, both African-American toddlers, and both playing with the same two children, and both go missing in the later afternoon from the same park. However, the kids named the news articles as Crystal and Kevin were ruled out by police 
as well as the man that was seen talking to Rosa on the park bench. And I don't know. I'm just not sure I believe that they're in, in the clear. One, it's just not a coincidence that these children were both the last two seen with these babies in both cases before they went missing. And two, why would this man have this kind of conversation about how parents don't pay enough attention to their kids right before Shane was taken? It just doesn't make sense to me. However, cops would eventually say that the two cases may be connected. I mean, of course they are. Now, a third child, much younger than both Christopher and Shane, one-month-old Andre Bryant would also meet a similar fate as the boys. Because it happened around the same time, although not in Harlem, but in Brooklyn, we have to talk about him and wonder if his disappearance is part of a grander scheme of things happening in New York City around the time. Andre Terrence Bryant was born February 17, 1989 to Timothy Bryant and Monique Rivera, who was 22 at the time. Her sister Simone would describe her as a warm person, saying that everybody that knew her loved her. Monique had three sons with Timothy, six-year-old Timothy Jr., four-year-old Thomas, and one-month-old Andre. They lived in an apartment on Madison Street in the Bushwick section of Brooklyn, New York. Now, of course, at the time, Brooklyn had its fair share of crime, much like Harlem. Monique is described as a mother who always put her children first and was very protective. On March 28, 1989, Monique and her sons left their apartment and went for a walk. While walking, they encountered two women in a car. The women got out and approached Monique. They talked with her about her sons and asked the whole Andre. And then they invited her and her sons to come with them to lunch at McDonald's. For some reason, she happily accepted. Now, some reports say Monique at least knew one of these women from high school, I believe, but it hasn't been confirmed or denied. So this would make sense that she would go with a familiar face. Monique would later tell her husband, the children's father, on how the two women were especially interested in one-month-old Andre and how they constantly asked to hold him. Afterwards, they convinced Monique to go shopping with them at the Green Acres Shopping Mall in Valley Stream, Long Island. The women went to a store called Canadians and Monique bought herself an outfit. They then went to another store where the woman bought her a pair of pants and a shirt. Then they took her and her sons home. Now, Timothy was concerned when he heard this story and thought it was odd, and he was especially uncomfortable with the fact that she was getting clothes from these women. He asked her flat out what she was even doing with them. She said she had knew one of them from either middle school or high school. I found conflicting accounts on that, but like I said, it's not exactly clear if she even really knew them or not. However, Monique told Timothy that the women had used fraudulent credit cards to make their purchases. And I don't know, this may have alarmed me because at least a questionable character. However, she agreed to meet with the two women again the next day. She said they would be going to the Galleria Mall in White Plains, New York. And although Terrence was concerned, she did tell him not to worry. The next day, March 29th at 2 p.m., the two women called Monique from a payphone around the corner and asked her to come out and meet them. When she got to their car, which was parked in front of her building, 
They said to her, go back and bring Andre. We want him to come. Because Monica had asked her husband's sister to watch the kids. So she had told her sister-in-law that the woman had wanted her to bring Andre. So for some reason, she went back, picked him up, and took him to the car. Now, me personally, and this is not to take anything away from Monique, this would have super alarmed me, right? And I probably would have never even been in contact with these women ever again. Because exactly why do I need to bring my one-month-old child with me to go shopping? And why would I need to leave my other two children home? I don't know. I'm very intuitive, and that would have been a big no-no for me. However, no one would ever see Monique or Andre again. What happened next is extremely sad and unfortunate. Monique's body was found by a jogger on the morning of March 30th. She was fully clothed, so it was unlikely she was sexually assaulted, and was found at the bottom of an embankment near City Island Road in the Bronx, which is super close to a beach and kind of spread out, so it would be easy to dispose a body in this area. She had been struck in the head and then strangled to death with a scarf. She had numerous defensive wounds, including bruises and broken fingernails. Of course, a mother that's fighting for her child. However, Andre was nowhere in sight. Police will send divers into the waters because, like I said, that area where she was found has a beach. But they were unable to locate Andre. And after speaking to her family, police would soon realize that Andre was actually what the women came for. They believed that there was an altercation between the women and Monique when she did not go along with their plan. As a result, they killed her. Authorities believe that the woman may have taken Andre to raise him as their own. They also speculated that the woman used him as a prop in their credit card scam. They noted that women with infants were less likely to be scrutinized by sales clerks when using stolen credit cards because they would think, why would this woman bring a, her child along with her to create, to create a crime? Little do they know women do that every day. Now, it is possible that they tried to recruit Monique for this scam, and when she refused, they killed her and kept Andre. The prime suspects in this case specifically are the two women last seen with Andre and Monique. One of the women was black, between 30 and 35, heavy set with a dark complexion. She was wearing sunglasses. The other woman was Hispanic or black, between 22 and 25 with long red or bushy orange hair and a light complexion. And if it was true, when Monique said she knew one of the women, this was most likely the one she knew from school. The women were driving a burgundy or maroon late model 1988 or 1989 Pontiac Grand Am Sports Edition with tinted windows. And it may have had Maryland license plates and Monique's oldest son even reported seeing a gun in the car. Even weirder, two days after Monique's body was identified, a woman called her calling herself Joan Walker will call Monique's apartment. She asked to speak with Monique. When told that she was dead, Joan would say, Monique can't be dead. I was just shopping with her the last two days. Now, during the call, this so-called Joan would also give an address. But police would say that this address did not check out. The woman has, to this day, never been identified. And authorities have never been able to link anyone with that name to this case. I believe that maybe this is one of the women either calling 
using a fake name to have the family believe that they had nothing to do with Monique's death because they knew that she had mentioned her outing with them to her family. However, police would say that they thought that this may have been one of them calling as well, but it was because she had nothing to do with the murder and wasn't aware that Monique was even dead. Really? So y'all theorize this person wasn't aware of the murder. Why wouldn't she have given a real name or real address instead of giving one that wasn't hers? Because the name that was given nor the address checked out. So if she knew if she didn't know Monique was dead, there was no reason to lie. But what is known is that Andre to this day has never been found. Now, I personally believe, as does the police, that all three of these boys' cases are somewhat connected. Even with Andre going missing in a total different borough, he was the first to go missing. But all three boys would be taken within a five-month span. My theory is that all three of these boys were taken as part of an underground black market adoption for people or couples who wanted children at the time and for whatever reason wouldn't have been able to pass whatever qualifications were needed to pass to adopt children from these agencies. I believe whoever took Andre killed Monique and then because maybe the murder was unplanned or it was too much for them because, let's be honest, we're not all murderers, they may have began to change their M.O. on how they took children, which is how Christopher and Shane were taken in crowded parks without anyone seeing or even noticing that they were gone. I truly don't believe that these three children were abducted within a five-month span in New York City was a coincidence. Now, some believe that these boys were taken by pedophiles, some believe they were taken for satanic rituals, which is absurd to me. And at one point, police would even point the finger at their own mothers. Now, police would say at some point that Allison, Christopher's mother, was at some point during the late 80s addicted to drugs. They would even say that she would sell her son for a drug debt, something that she still to this day denies. And I also believe she had nothing to do with it. They would say Shane's mother, Rosa, got rid of him because in 1997, they would find out that she had taken out a life insurance policy on him. And she would say she only did that because they were planning to take a trip to Disney World that same year. And she took it out in fear of the plane malfunctioning or crashing. Cops could and would never prove either mothers had anything to do with this. There has been no signs of any of these boys since 1989. And if alive, which I think they are, they probably don't even know who they truly are. As was the case of Carlina White, who was stolen from Harlem Hospital in 1987, which is a hospital super close to Martin Luther King Towers in the years right before the boys were taken. She would be taken to Connecticut and raised by a woman who had suffered miscarriages and was unable to have her own child. And she raised her for 23 years. I mean, this girl didn't even know who she was for 23 years until she was found and reunited with her family. So it leads me at least to believe that infant kidnapping for personal gain, whether it's because a person couldn't have kids or to sell these kids, was happening in New York City during the 80s. These boys would be well into their 30s by now, and much like Carlina, 
they could very well someday be reunited with their families. If you have any information on the disappearance of Christopher Dansby, Shane Walker, or Andre Bryant, please call the New York City Missing Persons Unit at 212-694-7781 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-843-5678. As scars and birthmarks do not go away, Christopher has a figure eight shaped birthmark located on his neck and Shane has a small scar under his chin. I will include pictures of Monique as well as all three boys as well as age progression pictures of them as well as the burgundy Pontiac that Monique and Andre were last seen in as well as a composite sketch of the man that the 11 year old said that they had saw Christopher walking with the blocks outside of the park on my Instagram page, which is at Black Girls Talk Crime Podcast. Just so you guys can see, maybe if you see their age progression photos, maybe it's somebody that it looks like, or you know somebody that had a car that looked like this, or whatever the case may be. So please, if you have any information on these cases, let's speak up and let's reunite these families and let's get justice for Monique. It's your host, Dominique, of Black Girls Talk Crime. Thank you guys for listening on this Sunday, and I will see you Wednesday with a new mini-episode. Have a great week. Bye.